Now, if you missed this morning, let me tell you, you need to go back and listen to this morning's message. You'll find it online by tomorrow, uh, but you can find it on our Facebook. Pastor Dean was one of the best messages, if not the best message I've heard on the blood. So I, I'm going to go back and listen to it again and take notes, and I'm going to preach it like it's mine. This is the only credit you'll get for this. I'm going to travel the countryside, and I'm going to tell them Dean Caldwell is copying me. He's... We have greatly enjoyed uh, Peggy and Dean. They have been a tremendous blessing in this house, and I want him right now just to come and just to share whatever it is the Lord has laid upon his heart. Amen. Sister Tennyson, I don't know if you know her or not, but uh, she's been around a long time. She called me one time and she said, Brother Dean, I've got some of your messages. She said, the first time I preached it, I said, I heard a man say. But the second time I preached it, I said, I have said. <laughs> I believe it's Psalms chapter 119 and verse 105 that said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. A lamp is a spotlight. Your feet is where you are right now. So he said, the word is sustaining me where I am right now. Then he said, it's a light to my path. The light is a projected beam and the path is where you're headed. So he said, the word of God will sustain you where you are and it will lead you where you need to go. That is the power of the Word of God. It has been so good to be here. Guys, it has been so good making new friends. And I've got to commend you, the way you guys worship. I love that. Your response in the altar service, you just act like it's just you and God. Nobody else is here, just you and God. I like that. I really like that. My brother sitting up here today, uh, put our packet of CDs where the four of heaven, hell, depression, and forgiveness on uh, uh, flash drives. You can tell I'm really acquainted with that real good. A little bitty tiny thing like that. He made those available out there as well. I want to thank you for your giving, for your, uh, your, your just coming out to the house of God and supporting God with your presence and your praise. I want to get into something tonight that I, I feel is a must, especially in this day and time, and I bounced it off of the pastor and his wife today, and when they didn't even know I was bouncing it off of them, but I was doing it anyway, just feeling out something. But before I do, I want to mention my lovely wife, Peggy. Will you stand, dear, and let everybody see you? All right. That's my sweetheart we've been married 46 years and i know she's had 12 good ones out of that at least at least 12 good ones out of the 46 and uh, she stayed with me all this time she's the glue that holds this thing together if you'd like to turn with me in your bibles tonight turn to the book of psalms chapter 12 and verse number one now, Psalms is credited in the Bible as the book of poetry, Psalms and Job, and you know, but it's also a book of prophecy. There is so much prophecy in the book of Psalms. In fact, is Psalms 22 gives a detailed prophecy of the cross and the suffering that Jesus done just in that one chapter of Psalms 22. But Psalms chapter 12 gives some insight of a future event that is going to take place, and that is the appearing of Jesus Christ. He's coming. The Word of God tells us He is coming. Would you honor the reading of the Scripture by standing tonight, if you will, in Psalms 12 and verse number 1? He said, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth. For the faithful fail from among the children of men. Now that word fail there means disappear. That's what it means. Let me read that again. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth. For the faithful fail from among the children of men. Wow, what a scripture there. 
that Psalms had insight to. Let us pray. God, I pray tonight that you would move with your spirit. I pray, God, that you would move powerfully in this place. You would touch us. May our hearts be enthused. Our soul be touched by the power of the presence of God. Move powerfully in this place. Help us to walk in victory, in the victory you have designated for us. Let us be inspired tonight and blessed, I pray, in Jesus' name. And we thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. You may be seated tonight. The appearing of Jesus Christ is mentioned all through the Word of God. Some of it is symbolism. There is a difference, and that's what I want to preach tonight, between the appearing of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. Now, there's our world is turning from the message, and I'm not talking about the secular world. I'm talking about the, the religious world, the Christian world, is turning from the message of the appearing of Jesus Christ. I guess, Pastor, I have gotten more flack over preaching about the appearing of Jesus than any other message that I have ever preached in my life. But there is a difference between the appearing and the second coming. More word is said in the Bible concerning the second coming of Christ than there is anything else in the Word of God. Fact is, Enoch prophesied the second coming of Jesus Christ and coming back to this earth before Noah's flood. Let's put that up there. The book of Jude, Jude has one chapter, let me see, put up verse 14 and listen to this. Enoch prophesied about the second coming of Jesus Christ before Noah's flood. Now look what he said here in the word of God. He said in Jude, only one chapter there, verse 14, and Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied these sayings. The Lord comes with 10,000s of his saints. Wow, what a blessing that is to know that Jesus had decided the second coming before Enoch was ever ever born and Enoch prophesied of that blessing before Noah's flood ever came into existence. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying the second coming of Jesus is rooted and grounded in the word of God. But then the first appearing of Jesus Christ is one of the oldest things that is spoken to us in the scripture. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15, the book of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 is the first scripture in the Bible that deals with a Savior coming into this world. And by the way, it is the first scripture in the Bible that deals with the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Look at this scripture, Genesis 3, verse number 15. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and his heel shall bruise thy and his heel shall bruise thy head. And he said, You're gonna bruise his heel. Now I could preach an hour on that because that problem prophecy took 4,000 years to come to pass, but it's in the Word of God. Now, some of you wonder, where in the world did that wild man get a virgin birth out of that little verse of Scripture? Let's look at it again. He said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. The woman does not carry the seed, she carries the egg. Here is a prophecy that there would be a virgin birth of a Savior coming in into this world in its time. Wow, Jesus came into this world in Bethlehem of Judea, lived here, walked on this earth for 30 plus years, some say 33, 33 and a half, somewhere in there died on the cross, ascended to heaven. But before he ascended into heaven, in his teaching in the three years of his ministry, he left crumbs for us to get a hold of. I'm gonna go away, but I will come again. This same Jesus you see going into heaven shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. The word of God gives us hope. 
it gives us blessed hope that we can hang on to that there will be an appearing of Jesus Christ that will call a church from this earth to meet him in the clouds and in the air. Now let me quickly give you a quick synopsis of the difference between the appearing of Jesus and the second coming. This is what distinguishes the difference between the two. At the appearing of Jesus, Jesus appears in the clouds of glory, and with the sound of a trumpet, he calls people from this earth to meet him in the clouds and in the air. At the second coming of Christ, he comes back with those saints all the way to this planet earth, and his foot touches Mount Olive. In the appearing, he does not come back to the earth. He appears in the clouds and in the air. We'll talk about that a little more as we get into this. But I want your understanding to be, be fruitful tonight of the appearing of Jesus Christ. What's going to happen? What's going to take place? What is going to be the sign of the appearing of Jesus Christ? Well, let me get into something that will help you and inspire you. Uh, uh, if you will, put up 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 23. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 23. This is how you and I are created. It is our makeup of how God has put us together. He said this. He said the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Now that's W-H-O-L-L-Y, not H-O-L-Y. The very God of peace set, uh, uh, created you completely. Here's how he done it. He said, I pray your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Every individual in this building, every individual on this planet that's ever been born on this planet or whatever the future holds that's going to be born here is made in three parts. You have a spirit part. You have a soul part and you have a body. Now you and I can see the body, but we cannot see the soul and the spirit. But God made us two parts eternal and only one part natural. Your natural part of you is what your biological parents gave you, is your body. You have traits, you look like them, you favor them. You have probably actions of your parents as well and may have been told that. But your inner man, your soul and your spirit is the eternal part of you that God has created and that God has placed inside of you. And at death, that's the part that leaves the body and goes into the presence of God if you're saved. If you're saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, your soul and spirit leaves and goes into the presence of God. Let me just outskirt this tonight where we can get our mind wrapped around what I'm trying to say tonight. If you will, put up Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. The Word of God is the only thing that can differentiate the difference between the soul person and the spirit person that lives inside of us. Now watch this scripture. Now you can preach five messages out of this one verse of scripture here. He said, for the Word of God is quick and powerful powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now watch this, piercing even to dividing asunder the soul and the spirit, the joint and the joints and the mire, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. So God made you spirit, soul, and body, and in that order. Two parts of you is eternal. Only one part of you is natural. So you are more eternal than you are natural. So the Word of God divides and separates where we can understand what part the soul plays, what part the spirit man plays as well. Let me just take a moment of time here tonight to scripturally dissect this for you where you can see where we are in this. 
what part does the spirit man play? What, what part does he play? What part does the soul play inside of us when the word of God distinguishes them as separate? They're separate. You and I can't put them separate. They're inside of us, but they operate differently. Let, let me do this real quickly. Sister, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 11. Let me read verse 11 and verse number 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 11 and verse number 12. I, I, I hate to mess you up like this, but will you back up? Let me see, back up to verse 8 where I can get the subject content of this and bring it down through verse 11 and 12. She's good. You understand that? That gal's good up there. She is very good doing all this tonight. And my brother this morning was good too. You got some good people up there, brother. I'm telling you. But look at verse number 8 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now I'm going to give you a heads up where you won't sit there and start looking for this. I want you to look at the note the knowing, the intellect and the knowing that we're about ready to read in these verses of Scripture. Verse number 8, he said, which none of the prince of this world knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What's that saying? If the devil had known what was going to happen after the resurrection of Christ or, or after his death on the cross, he would have demanded all the demons to leave him alone and let him die of old age. <laughs> That's how that would have went down. Which none of the prince of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now look at verse 9. But as it is written, eyes have not seen nor ears heard, neither hath it entered the heart of man the things that God has done what? The things that God hath prepared for them that love him. What's he saying in that verse of Scripture? In your thinking, in your knowing, it is virtually impossible on the carnal side for you to extract and understand what heaven's all about. You can't do that in the carnal realm. Your knowing cannot expand that far and to know that. But look at verse 10. But he said, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Talking about the spirit man here and the intellect that's there. Now verse 11 will give you some plain insight on this. For what man knoweth the things of man save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have not receive the spirit of the world but the spirit which is of God that we might know the things freely given to us of God. So your spirit man houses your intellect and your knowing. Oh, thank God for that. Now watch this. That's not all it does, but that's one thing it does, and the scripture says that it does. So the spirit man intellectually knows the things of God when it's introduced to the things of God. Well, let me get to the soul here and then I'll come back to the spirit because I want to show you what goes into the presence of God before the resurrection of the body. Watch this now. Understand this. Go to Psalms, the book of Psalms chapter 42 and uh, let's just uh, read verse 5 and verse number 6. Now, look how the scripture depicts this for us. In the book of Psalms chapter 42, Verse number five and verse number six. David is, 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 is authoring this from us. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Look at verse six. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan, the Heromites and the hill, my Zor. What's he saying? Your soul houses your emotions, your feelings. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Your spirit man houses your intellect 
and you know it. Now, St. John chapter 4 and verse 24. Let me put this together. I didn't intend to even go here tonight, but here we are. I just feel like that someone needs to understand what's going on inside of them, all right? Inside of you. Watch this now. St. John chapter 4, verse 24. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. What's he saying there? God placed something inside of you so you can connect with God, spirit to spirit, my intellect, my knowing. Now let me show you something. Not every day I feel saved. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't get up every morning with goosebumps and my chin quivering. I, I, that don't happen. That's rare for me to get up like that. There are days I wonder if I'm really saved. But something, you know why? Because I don't feel saved. I mean, I don't feel it at all. But my knowing, my knowing connects with God. And God says, I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I know that I have passed from death unto life because I love the brethren. I know, I know, I know. And it's not long till my spirit man be begins to rehearse what the word of God has to say. I just know I'm redeemed. I may not feel it. I just know that I've passed from death unto life. So my knower starts punching on my feeler. And he says, Mr. Feeler, you don't feel it, but we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We have passed from death unto life. And my feeler begins to hear what Manoah knows. And when Manoah gets to tell him a feeler, you're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. It's not long till my feeler gets to feel her what Manoah knows. <laughs> Are you with me tonight? And when you get to feel him what you know her knows, then it addresses your body. And a smile comes on your face, a twinkle in your eye. There's a spring in your step, a clap in your hand. Why? Because we've been in touch with God. God made us so we can contact and we can fellowship with him. My Lord, there's some good answers in all of that. So when you die, when life leaves your body, by the way, the breath of God is the glue that holds the soul and spirit inside the body. That's in the book of Job, chapter 33 and 34. I'm not going there, sis. I'll be there an hour if I get on that. You can read that when you get home. But when God calls his breath home, there's nothing to keep the inner man on the inside of the body. Let me illustrate that. Maybe you've had funeral services here. Your loved ones have got a casket here and you come down and you look at them. The body is there, but what made them think? What made them laugh? What made them cry? What made them feel? What made them who they was is gone. All that's left is the form that housed who they was. Wow, that's who you are. That's you are. I've heard people say, oh, I can't stand them, but I love their soul. You've missed the whole point. <laughs> because when the soul's gone, them don't do nothing. You understand that. When the soul leaves, whenever the spirit man is called out, oh, my, there's thoughts going through my mind that I'm wanting to detour here, but i got to talk about the appearing of Jesus Christ. And your soul and spirit leaves here and goes into the presence of God. Let me prove that scripturally. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 8. This is what Paul said in his writings in 2 Corinthians. He gives us some great insight here. When we read this, look what he said. We are confident, I say, willing rather to be absent from the body. And there's no, there's no waiting period here. He said to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. What's he said? 
instantly when the soul and spirit leaves this body. When God calls the breath home, the soul and spirit leaves the body. And when it leaves the body, it goes directly into the presence of God. And there, it's not in a coma. It's not in a deep sleep. It's not in some kind of trance up there. Your loved ones that have preceded you in death, they live. They are alive in the presence of God. Oh, let me put a little detail on that. Hang on just a minute. Let me show you something from the scripture tonight. And uh, 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 Matthew, Matthew chapter 17. I'll just start in verse 1 and read till we cover this. All right. Matthew chapter 17. Look at this verse of scripture. He said, and after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, into a high mountain apart and was transfigured before them. His face did shine as the sun. His raiment was white as light. Look at verse 3. There appeared unto them Moses and Elijah. Was they in a coma? No. Was they in a trance? No. But they were talking with them. Now at that point, Moses had been dead 1,700 years at that point. And all of a sudden he shows up on Mount Transfiguration and saying, hey dude, how you doing? How you making it, Peter? You're looking well. Wow. John, you're looking good too. They're just talking with them. But it also identifies something. The Bible said that Moses and Elijah. What's all of that about? Moses is a picture of the dead in Christ and Elijah is a picture of the live and remain because Moses died in the land of Moab and was buried and Elijah was taken out of here in a, in a whirlwind of a chariot leaving here. So you've got a picture of the dead in Christ rising and the live and remain taken with him in those verses the scripture but your loved ones that have preceded you in death are alive they're in the presence of God they visit they talk they're there in the glory of the presence of God the body sleeps the body goes back to the dust back to the ground but who you actually are it will be in the presence of God my mother's there my father's there I've got grandparents there I've got boot of friends that are there and I know I know in whom I have believed I know I know that I just know they're in the great presence of God they're living there they have started their eternity oh I hope that will help somebody tonight you've lost a loved one you've lost a family member I'm here to tell you in the presence of God they're well, they're doing fine, they're visiting. I just thought I'd give you a family report tonight on something very real. They're visiting one another and they're waiting with anticipation for the coming of Jesus Christ to happen. Wow. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to start verse 13. We'll just read the rest of the chapter, all right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you've ever been to a funeral service, you've heard these scriptures, but I want to break them apart for you tonight and encourage you and inspire you. I told the pastor today at lunch, I said, you know, I can pat you on the back. I can tell you how good you're doing, and you may be in the heaviest trial of your life. And when I walk away, you say, well, he meant well, but he don't know what I'm, what I'm going through. But if I can inspire you with the word of God, it's the greatest encouragement that I could ever give you. Why? Because it'll stay with you. The word of God will stick to your spiritual ribs. It'll hang in there. Like they say in Arkansas, like a hair in a biscuit. It'll stay with you. I mean to tell you, it will stay with you because it is the word of the living God. Wow. Let's read this tonight. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13.
13. I'm going to read all this and then come back and dissect it, all right? In verse 13, Paul said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now, he uses the term asleep here because in 16 and 17, he's going to wake them up, <laughs> all right? He said, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together. Well, we can be called up together with them. Two adjectives describes that. In the clouds and in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now then, let me just dissect this apart by starting in verse 16. Three entities are identified in these two verses, 16 and 17. The Lord himself, there's number one. Then the dead in Christ rising first, then the live and remain. Now, we've heard this all of our life. Well, the dead in Christ has got to rise first because they're buried six foot in the ground. The dead in Christ rising first got nothing to do with how deep somebody's buried. It's got nothing to do with that at all. There's folks buried at sea. There's, there's those that were cremated. There are those that were burned and just scattered and fed to animals. That, that, the dead in Christ rising first got nothing to do with that. It means they are the first to know about the appearing of Jesus Christ. Let me show you that from the Word of God. Back up to verse 14. Let them see verse 14. Now watch this in verse number 14. For if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. That's before the trumpet sounds in verse 16 and 17. Verse 14 said, those that sleep in Jesus, boy, there's another confirmation on where they're at right now. Those that sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. It'll happen something like this. God gather all the saints together, which will be an enormous host of people. They move about so much it's impossible to number that group of people. And he'll say, guys, I'm about to sound the trumpet, but I've got to put you back on the earth that's where you left your old body and I'm going to resurrect you from the dead so they, that body needs a soul and spirit so you can be complete that body was subject to sickness and disease and old age and it was carnal but it died and when it died disease and carnality and old age died with it that's gone it's gone but when I put your soul and spirit back on the earth I'm going to sound a trumpet and I'm going to give you another body, a new body from, from the dust. Oh, from the dust. Oh, somebody said, well, preacher, how in the world is that going to happen? How's that going to take place? Let, let me put some word on that. Sis, I'm going to cover a lot of territory here, but you're doing great. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 35. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You can look it up in your Bible and write this down. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. Look at what they were asking asking the same thing we ask here today. He said uh, in verse number 35, 15 and 35, some men will say, how are the dead raised and with what body do they come? They were asking the same thing then we ask now. Verse 38, put up verse number 38 there. Look here what God said. He said in verse number 38 of chapter 15, he said this, he said, to every seed his own body. God has given it a body as it has pleased him to every seed. Watch this now, his own body. Wow, what's that all about? Let me show you something from the word of God. The anointing that comes in your life at salvation. When you come to know Jesus Christ, there's an anointing that comes inside of you at salvation. That's the only way you can receive Jesus is through the spirit realm and he lives inside of you but when you die that anointing does not leave let me show you that you remember an old preacher in the Bible by 
the name of Elisha. He died and they put him in a grave. And when they put him in the grave, his body had deteriorated. And several years later, there's an army coming through the country and they got a dead soldier with them and, and, and enemies chasing them. And one of them, now this is Arkansas language. You won't find this in King James or the NIV or anything else. This is Cozy Home, Arkansas talking right now. So, and, and one of the brethren said, we're, they're going to catch us if we don't get rid of Toby here. Well, he's dead and we're having to drag him around. And one of them said, you know, there's an old preacher not buried far from here in a tomb and I'm sure he won't mind sharing the tomb. Listen, there's nothing that happens in the word of God that God does not have a purpose for. Everything in the scripture has a reason and a purpose behind it. So they took this dead soldier over there, opened up Elisha's tomb, dropped him in on top of the dead bones there, and there was still enough of the anointing of God left in the bones that the dead man came back to life and helped them run from the enemy. <laughs> wow. So the anointing that you receive at salvation is what's going to put you together. How do we know that? Well, let's prove it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20. Now watch this. I want to show you what the Word of God has to say to us. He said, what? No, you're not. That's your body. Your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Look at verse number 20. He said, for you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Oh, wow. Look at that. Even though God claims that body that's there, it's got to go to the dust. Why? Because God said, it's appointed unto man once to die, after this the judgment. Now then, Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. Listen to this verse. This verse just takes the fuss out of it, all right? Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 number 11. Look at this very carefully. He said, but if the spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised Christ from the dead shall also quicken what? Your mortal body. Not immortal body, but the one you got right now. Quicken your mortal body by his spirit that dwells in you. So the anointing that you received at salvation. Pastor, I know you guys have experienced this. When you've been at a funeral service and just walk by the corpse, you could feel the radiation of the Spirit of God still in that body. I have felt it dozens and dozens of times. Miss Peggy and I have done so many funerals, we, we just quit counting a long time ago. But I give people hope when I do a funeral service where their loved one's at, what they're doing, and the promise God made to them. But now listen to me. You understand that body is housed by the anointing. Even though it goes back to dust, the anointing is still there. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead to well in you, he'll put that new body back together. And by the way, listen to me tonight. If you die a female, you'll be raised a female. If you die a male, you'll be raised a male. Thought I'd throw that in. We're not going to be angels. No. Let me show you something just to prove a point. When God made Adam and Eve, and by the way, he made Adam and Eve and not Adam and Steve. He made Adam and Eve. Now watch this. Eve was female, Adam was male. Now watch. But they were eternal. God made a male and female in their eternal state before they ever fail. Wow, I took the fuss out of it, didn't it? Yeah. God made male and female before the fall of mankind because they were made in the likeness of God. They were eternal beings. And by the way, there'll be family in heaven. Yes, there will. There'll be family in heaven. You may not want to go with yours. I don't know how God's going to do that. But 
There'll be family in heaven. It is how God created it and how God put it together. And we will be eternal. Wow, when we get to heaven, maybe Miss Peggy get 14 years out of this thing. <laughs> but watch this. When the trumpet sounds, God gathers all the saints that are in heaven in the presence of God. Where's the presence of God? By the way, that is in the third heaven. I don't have time to explain that, but that's all scriptural. Let me just give you a little of it, okay? Don't go there. I'm just going to tell them where it's at. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. Paul said, I knew a man about 14 years ago, whether in the body or not, I cannot tell, but I was called up to the third heaven. Wow. I wish I had time to explain the three heavens because the Bible does dissect them for us. But God's going to get all the saints together and make an announcement. I'm, it's time. I'm going to blow the trumpet, but I'm going to have to put you back on the earth. That's where you left your old body. You'll resurrect a new body. And then when you do, the live and remains going to catch up with you. At that point, now watch this. We'll rise to meet him in the clouds and in the air. Well, when I was a kid, they used to preach this, and my dad would say, boy, when the trumpet sounds, I'm leaving here. I'm going right through the handle of the Big Dipper. <laughs> I'm going past Pluto. I'm going to the third heaven. Well, I got, I got some news for you. You've got one stop to make. Mm-hmm. The meeting place is in the clouds and in the air. Why is that? Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 2. When the trumpet sounds, we'll rise to meet him in the clouds and in the air. Why is that? Well, number one, because we've walked in time past according to the course of war, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil's territory. And when God calls the church from this earth, we're going to meet up in the devil's territory. I call that face smearing time. For the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Saints of all ages of time are going to meet there. Wow. Robed in white. Let me get off track a little bit and just get it good. I believe Jesus is going to say, Lucifer, where you at, boy? Call your demons around. I want them to take a good look at this bunch. You afflicted them. You tore their families apart. You made them sick. You took their finances from them. You made them fearful and miserable, but they just kept going. They wouldn't quit. They wouldn't give up. Now I want you to look at them, Lucifer. They are the church of the redeemed. <laughs> wow, I hope I'm on the outer edge of that <laughs> because my twig is bent just a little bit like that. I'd like to reach out and get me a handful of demon that's caused me all kinds of heartache and knock a knot on his head, a calf can suck. That's how I feel. That, I mean, I want to knock a knot on him and rise up that a calf could suck. I want to tell him, buddy, you pushed me around, you shoved me around, but I just kept going because I am a child of the king. Whenever we're called from this earth, we're going to meet in the devil's territory. How long that'll be, I don't know. But it'll be long enough for me to strut a little bit. <laughs> I'll tell you that. I've never been very tall, but I can do me some strutting. Whenever I'm looking in the face of every demon of hell, there's no fear. There is no animosity. I know I have made it by the charge of glory, and my
my king will be at the head of the line as we stand there and he shows us off. This is the church of the redeemed. This is who I have redeemed. And now they're robed in robes of white. I don't know how long that'll be, but it'll be long enough for him to smear it in the face of the devil and say, you've done everything you could to tear the church apart. But by the grace of God, they're still part of the kingdom of God. They didn't quit. They never stopped. They never turned back. They kept going because of the greatness of their love for God. Wow, I'm feeling this thing now. Boy, you don't want me to get my second wind. I'm telling you. We leave from there and go into the banquet room of glory and sat down at the table of a king. Now hear me tonight. I've heard people say, boy, preacher, when I get there, I got a lot of questions to ask God. No, you don't. When you're changed from the corruptible to the incorruptible, everything you didn't know, you'll know. Well, preacher, I'm, I can't wait to be introduced to Paul. No, there won't be no introducing either. You're going to know them birds. And they're going to know you. Well, let's put a little word on that. You don't have to take my word for it. Take God's word on it. First Corinthians chapter 13, I'm going to start in verse 9. Okay, let's prove this tonight by the word of God. First Corinthians 13 Verse number nine. Now, I know this is the love chapter, but boy, it's got some prophecy here. Watch this. For we know in part, talking about right now, we know in part, and we prophesy in part. What does it mean? We don't know everything. We know in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Wow. When we get in the perfection of this thing and change from the corruptible to the incorruptible, from the mortal to the immortal, all the impart stuff's gone. Look at verse number 11. He said, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I become a man, I put away childish things. Now watch this. For now, right now, for now we see through a glass darkly. But then... Face to face. You got up in the morning, walked over, looked out the window, and it's all muddled up. You've got to wipe it out of the way to ever see that. He said, we look through the glass darkly, but then face to face. Wow. He said, we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then he said, I'm a child. I thought as a child, spake as a child, understood as a child, but when I become man. But now we look through the glass darkly, but then face to face. Now, what's this next verse? For now I know in part, he said, and watch this in verse number number 12. We see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. But then shall I know, even as I am known. Now abideth faith, hope, and charity. Watch this. I'm going to sit down at the table, the banquet table of God. And by the way, I won't need these glasses either. Thank God for that. Y'all look better. Man, I'll sit at the banquet table and I'll say, Timothy, pass me a biscuit. James, push that gravy down here. I'm going to do some sopping. Yes. Just sitting at the table of God. Here comes old brother Paul down the down the line there visiting with everybody and he'll slap me on the back and he'll say, hey, Dean, how you doing? I'm only back and say, hey, brother, man, when I got a hold of 1 Corinthians 15, it changed my world. And James would say, hey, Dean, how you like that little book I wrote? I said, man, when I got to chapter 5 and could understand I can anoint with oil in the name of the Lord, the prayer of faith, boy, you had some insight there, bub. We sit and talk with them just like we're talking with everybody around us. That seems so far-fetched, but it's so real according to the Word of God. 
While we're up there eating the marriage table at the marriage table of the Lamb down here on this earth, there's going to be chaos, trauma, heartache. I've got to make it. I'm going to make it. Then all of a sudden, after we've been there, I don't know how long we're going to be there. Jesus will stand at the end of the table. He'll say, fill their glasses up again. Give them some bread because I told you, I drink no more fruit of the vine till we drink it together. In the kingdom, you talk about a communion service. When they fill the cups up and Jesus said, hold the bread up, guys. This is my body that was broken for you. You kept it. You kept it. Then he'll take the cup and say, this is my blood. A communion service like we have never attended in our life. Because you remember his death until he comes. Then he'll say, folks, mount up. We're going back. I was in a church here a few years ago and somebody had wrote a song. I'm not going to tell the name of it because they may be watching this sometime. But it said, I'm going to heaven and I'm never coming back. And they were shouting all over that building. I leaned over to the preacher and I said, that's not so. He said, what do you mean? So I said, no, 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 you don't have a one-way ticket. You got a round-trip ticket. But I just let them shout. Never said nothing. They enjoyed the song. But we're coming back with him. Yeah, we are. For those that don't believe in the appearing of Jesus, you've got some explaining to do. I want to show you that. Go to the book of Revelation chapter 19, and then I'm going to wind this thing down, and aren't you glad? I'm going to wind it down. Revelation 19, let's start in verse 11. I may read the rest of the chapter. I'm not sure. Let's see what happens here. Verse 11, he said, I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse. He that sat upon him is called faithful and true, and in righteousness doth he judge and make war. His eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head was many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He's clothed in the vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven, now watch this. I'm in verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed after him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Who is that bunch? Watch this now. Go across the page. Can you just go over there and put up seven and eight? Then I'll go back to 14. Verse 7, verse number 8 will tell you that. Remember the clothing they're wearing, white and clean. What's this now? Verse 7 and verse number 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. For unto her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Now go back to verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed after him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Same clothes. That's the saints of God. For those that don't believe in the appearing of Jesus, how'd they get up there? Wow. You can get daylight past the rooster. Easier than you can get the appearing of Jesus past the church. They're going to be one. Now, I know I'm just getting down country tonight, but I want us to all be on the same page. All right. Verse 15. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite nations. He should rule them with a rod of iron, for he that treadeth the winepress, fearness and wrath of the Almighty God hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I saw an angel stand the sun and cried with a loud voice saying to the fowls that fly in the midst of the heaven come gather yourselves together to the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings the flesh of captain flesh of mighty men flesh of horses and them that sit upon them the flesh of all men both free and bond small
fallen great. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on a horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet which had brought miracles deceived them that had received the mark. The beast worshipped his image and these both were cast alive in the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant was slain with the sword of him that sat on the horse which sword proceedeth out of his mouth and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. I saw an angel come down from heaven having the keys to the bottomless pit and a great chain is in. I'm sorry, that's chapter 20. All I need is verse chapter 19. Watch this now. This is the second coming of Jesus Christ. The appearing is where he appears in the clouds of glory and calls a church from this earth to meet him in the clouds in the air. But he's coming back with that group he called up to end the battle of Armageddon and to end it on this earth. Let me give you something to think about. Don't put this up. I'm going to tell them where it's at because I don't even want to preach on this. It just spinning. Chapter 18, verse 10, verse 17 and 19 talks about one-hour judgments, which is the grand finale closing of the tribulation period. Right when the tribulation period ends, the heavens open, and here comes Jesus. Now, I know you Texans are horse people, but God's got horses that walk on air. And we're coming back with him on those horses to watch him do battle. Now, I know I've detoured and all of this other, but let me help you understand this. When you get home, read Zechariah 14, especially the first five verses. It's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the last part of verse 5 says his saints will come with him. That's going to happen. Just like the word. When the trumpet sounds and we're changed, the dead in Christ, the alive and remain, will be changed. There'll be no old age. There'll be no physical handicap. There'll be no mental handicap because that's all in the body. And the body will be changed. Oh, I got to do this. Let me look it up, sis. First John, not, not St. John. First John chapter 3 and verse number 2. I got that right tonight. First John chapter 3 and verse number 2. Look at this. He said, Beloved, we are the sons of God. We don't know what we're going to be like when he appears, but we know this. Now, I'm just paraphrasing this. That when he appears, we'll be like him. Watch this. For we shall see him as he is. Jesus left here at age 33. I really believe that will be the eternal age. 33 years old. Because he said, we'll be like him. We'll see him as he is. He left here at 33. Now, when I was 33, I had a head full of black hair. Thick black hair. Don't ask me what happened. I don't know. I only have one chin. Instead of three. 50 pounds lighter. Oh, I'm looking forward to 33. Really looking forward. You'll meet me sometime in the future and you'll say, Hey, Dean, how old are you? And I'll say, I'm 5,687 years old. Just planted a vineyard over there for Brother Mike. You understand? That's far fetched from our thinking, but it is real in the eyes and in the heart of God. We have an eternal future. What am I saying? It's worth putting up with junk over. It's worth putting up with stuff over just to make it in.
and to be crowned in his glory as we live with him forever and forever. Would you bow your heads with me, please, tonight? The appearing of Jesus. Brother, would you come to the piano and help me tonight in this service? I want to do something a little bit different tonight. We are so geared to needs. And we do have needs. I'm not taking any away from that. We do have needs. But I want to ask you a question. How long has it been since you just got up from a seat in an altar service and come to the front of the church and stood here and said, God, I didn't come to ask you for anything tonight. I just come to praise you for my eternal future. How, how long has it been since you've done that? To praise him for your eternal spirit future. God, I just come to praise you. You see, we're so geared with needs in our life that it's hard for us to praise him without venturing off and presenting our need list because we're just kind of geared that way. But he has made us such a bright future. Such a bright future. And, and I, I want to do it like this if we can and if you don't want to come to the front would you just stand at your seat but I would like for you to get your family together with you tonight if your family's with you tonight and just be a family and worshiping God wouldn't it be wonderful one day we stand together in the presence of God. I can't stand the thoughts of going to heaven without my girls, my son-in-laws, and my little granddaughter. I just can't stand that. But they're saved by grace and love God with everything they've got. And one day we'll stand in the presence of God as a family. I want us to get a little practice in tonight before the trumpet sounds. Will you get your companion, your children, if they're married or whatever, if they're here tonight? If not, and if you're by yourself, would you just connect with the family that's here tonight and just come, stand in the aisle just with your family and just worship God as a family tonight.